bon me for lunch today. It was so good, man. And, oh yeah, uh, dude, can go on. I'm I'm a, I've been big on the bon me lately. I'm, I'm... Dude, I'm over here sipping on a little kumquat lemon iced tea. I don't even like iced tea, bro. But here dude, we are is... with kumquat lemon. I'm feeling it, man. What is kumquat? I don't know. Listen, if I knew, I might have to kill you. Yeah, I only know that one time White Goodman from Dodgeball offered Vince Vaughn's character a suffocated kumquat, perhaps, and I still don't know what that is. So <laughs> hilarious! I love it. I love you know, it. It was Vaughn my choice. Was my, my choice was kumquat or leche. Are you familiar with the leche aspect or what? No idea. This is way, but this exactly. is like higher high society stuff right here. I, I don't know. Hey, listen, you were talking about getting bombies in Alaska, so at least you got access to that. I mean, oh yeah, yeah, I got me some bond me. Uh, they they keep on they're out of pork, but I've been hitting the grilled chicken bond me, and you know, there's no cheese in it. Feel feel good about that. You know, it's fresh made baguette. It's only nine dollars at this place called Benji's. I'm pretty stoked about Benji's. They also got like bakery pastry stuff that they have a a croissant hybrided with a muffin. And they call it a cruffin. And they have like a hey, Kit Kat baby. flavor. They have a oh. fruity pebbles flavor. They have a maple bacon flavor. And then they're like stuffed with whipped cream inside of them. And it's like one of those things. It's hard to once you start eating it, it's like kind of messy. So you just right right to the face hole and it's just been really good you know start with the cruffin because that's ready right you go you go to the counter you get your cruffin boom they hand it to you it's already made then you got to wait 10 minutes for the bon me so in those 10 minutes i am carpe diem eating the cruffin and two birds one stone baby (laughs) i love it man is this a uh is this a food eating podcast i I don't it think could so. Be very uh, the, honestly, Anchorage, Alaska, probably not the best food city in the country. But we got a couple of gems in here. You know, it's not bad. I think I think your neck of the woods has probably got a couple more restaurants to brag about. That's probably fair. And you know, honestly, while we're on this topic, I feel like the viewers or the listeners need to know what what's the purpose of our of our podcast and so mm-hmm. just kind of wanted to give a little introduction as to what our purpose is ultimately so uh first of all i want to introduce myself i'm brendan on the other side of this is my brother sean um i'm the oldest he's the younger we're just two brothers no one else uh no other siblings sean moved to alaska what is it now seven years six or seven years yeah depending on when you count my first trip was seven years ago up here nice so yeah sean uh went out uh to visit my uncle about seven years ago after graduating from college and he fell in love with alaska long story short he lives there now along the way he uh he's lived different places and uh well the first part of his time in in alaska was uh, surrounding dog mushing and um, you know ultimately I don't think that his goal was to run the Iditarod initially when he got introduced to it but one thing led to another snowball effect boom he's running the Iditarod 
casual thousand mile dog race it's pretty easy to just like wake up one day and say hey yeah i'm gonna do that um so sean worked on that for a while and then uh you know his first first time doing it he uh he left and uh then covid happened and uh family's plan was to get out there and get you know see him at the finish line and covid prevented that and you know uh so now here we are and like we're just it's like we've inevitably got sucked in and uh for me i've been following ever since sean ran the i did a rod but sean's had his his foot in it a little longer and so we're just kind of trying to connect the dots and uh talk a little bit about people in the i did a rod and the world of mushing and uh i think that ultimately we want the viewers to have something to listen to uh, in the mushing world um, that isn't only uh, around the dates of the Iditarod. So we'll be going over some smaller races that lead up to the Iditarod. And ultimately, I think that it'll be important for us to put out a lot of good content for you all during the actual Iditarod. So that's kind of what the purpose of this is. Sean, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think uh, that you see all of the Iditarod content happening in the late February, early March. You know, there's not really anyone talking about mushing uh, in a public uh, setting this time of year because you still got, what, 95 days to go. Uh, but, you know, we're, we always are calling each other, talking about the mushing news. And we figured, you know, this is kind of something we grew up watching was these ESPN analysts, Stephen A. Smith, and these, they're now they're big personalities and they're offering their opinion that sometimes nobody asked for. And that could be the case with us too, but um, that we're just want to kind of talk about what the storylines are. You know, I'm not any expert on Iditarod. I know I like ran it, but like, look, I've only been around it for six years. It's, it's a 51 running of the race this year. So 51st, and so, you know, I'm I'm no expert, but I have a, a unique perspective of having been born and raised in Atlanta and come here and learned about mushing and been a part of it. And then Brandon having followed me and being, a, you know, from the casual fans perspective. And I think now you've graduated to not so casual fan of mushing. And it's just kind of fun to talk about like what's going on, because I think a lot of stuff a lot of really cool stories about this lifestyle up here kind of just don't get talked about, don't get shared. There's so much more going on than who's like the top three mushers in the Iditarod. And the Iditarod website does it a great job of covering, you know, with a limited budget that they have, you know, that fundraising for this race is it's really expensive to put it on. Uh, I think it's like $5 million to just put on the race. And so, you know, you can't be having helicopters following all the mushers out in the middle of nowhere in Alaska. So they do the best that they can with what they have, the resources they have. And I think they need people like us uh, to supplement that content that they have, um, because it's clear that uh, fans of this race and of the sled dogs, um, they're hungry for something more. And this is our process. We're getting we want to give them that extra bit more. Um, and we're starting now. And, I, you know, I think we're continuing to fine tune how we're doing this. Uh, and by the time 
we're consistently putting out content up to the big race, I think we'll have a pretty good thing going. Nice. I love it, man. Yeah. So, uh, well, without further ado, I think we should get into uh, some of our, um, well, last time we kind of, uh, we met, we were talking about how the deadline for signups was about to happen the end of the month of November. Um, the entry fee of $4,000 goes, goes up to 8,000. So most people are there getting cast. We have four new entrants. So, uh, kind of takes it from seeming like there aren't a lot to there's about almost 35 now in it. And, um, you know, like before I was like, man, there's only 29 entrants now, now we're up to 34. So Anyways, without uh, further ado, I, I I was curious to hear your thought on some of the people that have have entered. So, um, you last time we talked a little bit about Christian Turner, and um, if you'll just remind the listeners, he is running Dallas's team, or is this Mitch's team? He's running uh, Mitch Stevie's team. So yeah, he ran. Dallas CV's team two consecutive years. Um, I want to say 2014 and 2015 is yes. when he did that. And I believe that Dallas uh, won in 2014 and was in second place to maybe 20. No, I think he won 14, 15, and 16 in Dallas. So Christian was a part of that uh, three-peat. So he's not just like when when you have someone like Christian and Dallas working together those years, it was they took a big group of dogs together, fine tuned to have a champion sled dog team that Dallas would run. And then the dogs that just barely missed the cut that are still champion caliber dogs um, ran with Christian and he was able to get squeezed into the top 20 uh, at least uh, one of those times and clearly has is, is a ta- like a competitive dog driver and then um now he got he, I, I remember talking about talking to him as I was getting into my second Iditarod and he was I was like do you ever think about running this race again and he's like dude I like I ran two competitive Iditarods um you know Dallas got his wins I, I feel like I really uh you know, don't need to come back and do this. And that's like the classic, that's just like the classic musher quote right there. You know, how many people have we seen a, attempt retirement? Um, and Christian gets this amazing opportunity. Uh, there was, there was literally a Facebook post by Mitch about like, I'm not sure what to do with my dogs because he's will have trained up his dogs to compete in the Cusco 300 that ends mid January. And then they're going to be fit and ready and wanting to run and they don't have a big event or anything planned. And well, Christian commented on this status and was like, yo, I'll, I'll run for I did or if you want. And then I, I didn't, I thought it was kind of a joke. And then next thing you know, two weeks later, like I see Christian post, like I'm running the Iditarod. I'm like, Oh my God, that's that. So I think Mitch was really attracted to the idea of, of experienced musher that, 
uh, has understands the CV system, right? The the Mitch and Dallas trainer dogs just differently, but there is certainly an overlapping uh, style. Um, and then he's proven capable of great dog care while maintaining like that competitive edge. And Mitch wants his dogs to compete and win the Iditarod. I think he just doesn't want to be the guy, you know, I don't know. Mitch is like 60 years old. I think he deserves a year off. I'm not sure that he's fully committed to retiring or not, but I mean, it's really, this is really, really uh, hard on your body um, running the race uh, when you're doing it for, you know, I think he's probably ran 30 or so I did a odds, maybe 20. I don't know, but uh, you know, so he's, he's happy to take a breather and he's got a great property and great, and he's hanging out with his wife and, enjoying life uh, down on the Kenai Peninsula. So yeah, Christian, he's going to play the Mitch Evie's dog team jockey kind of, and it's maybe not like everyone's favorite term, but you know, you got a guy with this level of experience with these exact like genetics of dogs that he's worked with, with the same training program that he's been a part of uh, working with Dallas. And now he's going to be working with Mitch uh, I think you're going to see a um, formula for success. And it's interesting to see, you know, he's, he has been down in Australia for a few years and there's not a ton of snow down there, uh, not a ton of sled dogs down there. But um, if there's anyone that can just kind of pick up and, and put together a competitive race uh, and just and draw from that previous experience that he's had on the trail, it, it could be Christian. Nice. I'm going to uh, propose a question for you related to Kelly Maxner and Christian Turner a little later. Um, those two are running the CV's ace squads for the race. So I'm going to let you think about that and marinate on that. But I'm curious what you think uh, the expectation there would be, you know, who would be better than the other and so on. But I'm going to let you marinate on that. I want to stick to uh, these new newest entrants. Um, so next up, we'll go with, uh, and gosh, I hope I'm not butchering his last name, Deke. Well, shout out to you, dude. If I do it, do it wrong, I would love to know how to say it properly, Sean. I don't know if you do, but Deke Nachtborn. I want to say Nachtborn like or something. Nachtborn. Uh, so yeah. yeah, he was. Uh, he was the latest entrant. This will be his third running of the race. Rookie year back in 20. Um, and uh, I'm just curious to to see what you have to say about Deke and what he may bring to the table. Yeah, he's proven to run. He's now, I think, ran a pretty competitive, um, I want to say it was a quest 300 or some kind of mid distance race where he placed in the top 10 and he's, he's pretty much, he's openly expressed that he's wants to be a com competitive, you know, you running Ricky, I did a rod. You know, it's not likely that you're going to be uh super competitive, although certainly has happened. You see someone like Mila Porsche who's finished seventh in her first race, Jesse Holmes. Um, it's not unheard of, but, you know, sometimes people like to kind of take it easy on that first go and just kind of get to the finish line and and absorb as much information as they can from the experience. Uh, so then he ran another year. Uh, I think he, his second year, he was around 20th place. And, and then um, 
And now I think, you know, he, he's only going to continue to trend upwards. You know, you got a smaller field and a more experienced Deke. And I think it's see him going top 15, maybe, um, you know, things go well, even higher. And, um, you know, I remember he's just got a good head on his shoulders. He's a really nice guy. And I remember uh, in Galena in 2020, he, I was, uh, I was frustrated because my, the Iditarod website, I had printed out the miles between each checkpoint. And it said that between um, maybe, it was, I don't know which two checkpoints it was on the Yukon River, but it said it was going to be like 42 miles and it was like 53. And it's like, that's like an extra like hour and a half of mushing. And I'm like, like I've the way I've like snapped my dogs and rested them and the pace I'm running and all of that, you know, you're thinking about the miles. It's not a big difference, but, but it does kind of play with your head at that point in the race. You're over halfway through. And I was like sitting in the checkpoint, just kind of like, dude, that's kind of some, kind of some BS on the, on the, like how do they not have the miles right on the website? Like they've done the race, you know, almost 50 times. And, and I like complained a couple of times and then Deke was just like, dude, shut the hell up. Like, I don't need your ne- negativity in the here. We don't, you're infecting everybody with it. And it's not what he said in so many words, but like, I was like super grateful that he said that because it can, it doesn't take much to kind of turn a mood into a lame mood, you know, out there. And then it turns out to just stop being a fun experience. And it's like, all right, dude, like get over it, Sean. And I, I like, was taken aback at first. And then I was like, you know what? Like thinking about it later down the trail, it's like, honestly, I really appreciate him pulling me out of my, uh, pulling me out of that funk and getting back on the trail. And so he's just a positive guy. And and he's, I think he's going to have a potentially pretty competitive Iditarod. I was just thinking about it. Does Deke have any, um, like, where is his team coming from? Is he running his own kennel? Is he, he possibly is running? running... Okay, yeah, so he's. he's... I don't know. Every you know, I remember him saying, "At what point do you? Uh, how many generations of sled dogs do you have to have for those sled dogs to be your? You know, because there's like Jeff King dogs, and there's the Mackie dogs, and there's you know the CV dogs, and whatever, and they all kind of have their own little physical and mental uh, traits that are associated with each line of dogs. Cause mushers as if, if, without getting too deep into like what an Alaskan Husky is, you can kind of breed for a specific, specific subset of qualities that you want in your Iditarod team. So some dogs are bigger. Some dogs have lighter coats. Some dogs have um, longer, thicker coats. Some dogs, uh, you know, have friendlier personalities. Uh, some dogs are more like to um, maybe have are friendly with people, but not like super needy necessarily. And they just as much enjoy hanging out with their coworkers, the other dog. So Deke has had now multiple generations of dogs born in his property that he's owned. And I think it's fair to say at this point that he's kind of has his own kind of dog that he's, um, running you know because at what at what point is it just turning the deeks dogs and not the cv dogs and not the king dogs i'm not sure where he got his dogs from though okay gotcha gotcha um okay so next on the list of newest entrants 
we're gonna pull up uh Jesse Royer here. And um man, just looking kind of at her um her Iditarod history, she's she's got an impressive little uh little run here. So first entrance was in two thousand one, her rookie year. And uh she's run every race since then, except for we've got in O two and O twelve in twelve and then last year. Um so you know that's 19 out of the last 23 I did rods. Pretty impressive. She's got 10 or excuse me, she got eight top tens, and she's won almost half a million dollars in prize money from it. Um She's got her best result is third place, which was twice in 20 and 19. And her worst was 21st twice, which honestly, like if you think about that, she's pretty much been better than 50% of the field every single race, which honestly says a lot about her consistency. Um, So yeah, that's Jesse Royer. I'm just curious to to hear any anything you have you did you have any run-ins with her during your iditarod or nah have i mean you heard any she's fun so far, stories she's so far out in front of me I, I i ran into her at the 24 hour checkpoint and i was just like stoked to like see some other mushers that are maybe going to win the iditarod but as i was coming in you know they're they're on their final you know 12 hours of their 24 and i'm just getting there but um yeah jesse royer she's the pinnacle of consistency you know you talk about uh, if you're around this sport long enough you you hear about this best-selling shirt in the 1980s uh when uh i did a rod is what it says i did a rod where men are men and women win the i did a rod right so that's uh, the ongoing joke because then uh that year i think four straight Iditarods were won by a woman. Libby Riddles was the first. And then Susan Butcher, the next three, she lost the next year to maybe Joe Runyon and then won a fourth Iditarod. So that was like the decade of the woman winning. And this is a, that's what was so cool about this sport. And I really wish like the feminist movement could kind of hop onto this because it is incredible that it might be the only event where men and women are competing against each other. And it literally doesn't matter what your gender is. You are not the athlete. You're their coach. You're their caregiver. The dogs are the athletes and you can be really freaking good at this sport and uh, be, you know, a hundred pounds and, um, or you could be really good at the sport and be 285 pounds. Like you saw with, uh, I can't remember his name, but, um, there's some bigger mushers out there, out out there, and so like size, physical strength, you know, that it, it it plays a factor, but it doesn't necessarily make a good or a bad musher. So Jesse is going to be your leading candidate to you know this long-awaited female winner. We're like, we really want it. Everybody wants it. Uh, you know, you have Ali Zirkel who finished second place three times in the 2000s. Literally, literally, I you just took the words out of my mouth. Like as you're describing her, I'm like, so I was gonna ask, like, is she kind of like the the new Ali Zirkel in the sense of like a fan favorite female that's done really well, but hasn't necessarily gotten that win, but has every potential and ability to do so. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think she is kind of turning into the fan favorite. Everybody loves Jesse, and I think not just the fans, but the, uh, all the mushers re- respect the hell out of her. Um, she's been around for so long, so she has built like a decent fan base. She's coming from Montana, so she kind of has that lower 48 um, community that she brings with it. So you, you know, we might see more non-Alaskan fans of Jesse. Uh, then, of course, Mila Porsett is the other top female contender, um, but she's only been around for like three years. She's been mushing her whole life, but she was out doing Arctic exp- expeditions, so she's just not as known as Jesse is. But I think they both have a pretty big fan base, and I think everybody's rooting for them to pull it off this year. Um, you know. So we with Jesse, you know, it seems like you're either going to see like a top three finish or you're going to see like maybe an 11th place finish. Um, so, you know, she had she kind of there was a year, I think. I want to say in 2020 when Werner won, she had a really, really good shot at uh, pulling it off and maybe just a couple of hindsight 2020, of course. No pun intended, because that was in the year twenty twenty. Hey, now, uh, but you know there was a couple of decisions she could have made differently as she was approaching the coast, and there was a big snowstorm, and the trail was kind of shitty. Uh, you know, maybe if she'd done something different, you might see Jesse Royer as the twenty twenty champ. So she's had her sh- chances. Um, she's going to continue to have more. I think the Iditarod was probably uh, reaching out to her. Like, please, please race this year um, just because, you know, she wasn't signed up until the, literally the last day. So I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know. I'm not in like the Iditarod committee, but I'm betting that there was maybe some like, come on, Jesse. Well, you know, we, re- we really would love to have you and so would the fans. And how can we make this easier for you? Yeah, no, I mean, uh Obviously, Deke and Christian, you know, they've run the race before and, and they're they're known, I guess, in the mushing world. But um, a name like Jesse Royer certainly moves the meter a little bit more, I would think. And uh, and then kind of transitioning into the last uh, latest entrant, and that is Pete Kaiser. Pete You've got a guy that's ran it every year since 2010. And he has seven top tens in 2019. He won the race and he's got about $350,000 and I did a rod winnings. Not too bad for only 12 years. Or maybe that is kind of bad. Well, yeah. I just want to say on the prize money, look, if you win the, I did rod and you, let's say the prize first place is 50 grand, you know, that's, you're not really making you're not like finishing in the green, you know, these guys that are fit, trying to field a team that has a shot at winning, they're spending. If you, I guess you could probably pull it off for cheaper than 50 grand, but most of them are spending far more than that. Uh, Cause you want to buy the extra, the brand new sled to start the race. You want the new gear for the dogs and uh, the best food you can find and a nice dog truck to, that doesn't break down when it's 40 below and you're driving through the middle of nowhere in Alaska so, you know, it costs a lot of money to do this. So even if you want a $350,000, I promise you that man has spent way more than $350,000 on this race. Um, and so, I I guess yeah. I'm kind of curious, like um, you, you were kind of alluding to like maybe Jesse got a call, like, come on, please come back. Yeah. Is there any chance that was the case with with Pete? It's like, Absolutely. you know, we're looking at 
we're looking at the last, I think it's 11 Iditarods prior to Pete entering. We've got no winners, right? The last 11 Iditarod winners are all not in this year's race. And now Pete's back in it. Uh, Obviously, excluding Brent. Uh, Let me throw that in there. Um, so it, for me, I'm, I'm a little bit excited to know, okay, we've got Brent who's last year's winner. We've got Pete who won it in the last three, four years. Um, and I guess I'm curious, you know, you think Pete's got it in him to give Brent a a run for his money or is this more of like, you know, he's kind of entering and, and hoping to do well, um, what what do your senses tell you there? Yeah, I mean, firstly, Pete Kaiser is I I don't want to misspeak, but I'm pretty sure he might be the only like one one of the I mean, he's the top native Alaskan musher, you know. He's he's native Alaskan, you know. He's representing um a really uh important Alaskan community here and you know, he's got, you want to talk about a fan base, dude, this man, when, if, if, if you guys want to feel chills down your spine, watch him come to Nome in 2019 in first place. And right now I'm on the verge of crying of how epic that video was of um, him getting just cheered on by literally thousands of fans, an entire state, you know, 16% of Alaska's population is native. And so this was huge, uh, huge for for him and for that community. And and he's just, he's living the real musher life, dude. The man lives like in Bethel off the road system. He's uh he's going to be someone to, I know we've been talking, I did her out a lot, but to plug for another race, the Cusco 300 that I think he's won it five times, at least four times. Uh, he won four times in a row. I think uh, I was there for the three Pete, uh, and that's a great because three Pete Kaiser, you know. Anyway, hey. um, yeah, dude, if this guy's an Iditarod, you better believe he's out there to win this thing. Uh, he's got like a like an interesting training grounds like down in Southwest Alaska. There's not a ton of hills. Um, there's there are little hills, but uh, you know, he his dogs are really good at like traveling flat those flat sections of trail. Um. You know, that's why he's such a good Cusco 300 musher because he's training like on the Cusco 300 trail for like the bulk of his miles. So like sometimes the trail sucks, but his dogs are used to it. Like so like one year there was no snow and it was just like a ribbon of ice and there was not that much traction. Well, his dog's been training on that for like two months. Everyone else has been training with an insane amount of snow down here in interior Alaska or Willow and and then they show up there and the dogs aren't quite used to those conditions. You just build your dogs, build different muscles, they uh, both mentally and physically to adjust to those conditions. So he's always going to be by far and large, the top uh, favorite for the Cusco 300. And then that kind of builds that race is a huge part of Iditarod training. Now, obviously he's trying to win that race, but it's also those miles are going to count towards those dogs, physical and mental conditions heading into March. And um, you know, I think Pete last year, I want to say that he either, he might've scratched last year or the year before, but he, um, maybe you can check me on that real quick. Yeah, but. that was 21, 21, was when he, when he scratched. 
Yeah. Um, and then what do you do last year? He scratched after McGrath or in McGrath. Last year he did fifth place. Okay, so fifth place, you got good, good, the good rebound, and um, you know he's. I think he's kind of a lock to be in the top ten. I mean, I would put my money on him to be uh, battling it out with with Brent, and you know he, but he will be also quick to ease off the gas if the dogs aren't up to the task. He's pretty quick to just say, all right, you know what? We're not going to win. We're not going to beat Brent, but I'd love to come in fifth. Like he's, they're still battling for those, those top 10 positions puts you in. I did or royalty. Once you're in finished top 10, the amount of respect and attention and uh, you're getting from the mushing community and the fans and just like, it's such a difficult accomplishment. So, you know, you can see him, he's being a top uh, Brent takedown contestant. Nice. I mean, what a great, what a great late entrant to have, or not late, but deadline entrant to have. So, uh, super excited about that. I guess one thing I do, uh, kind of curious, can you tell us a little bit more about the 2019 Iditarod? You know, um, when you look at like the list here, it's like last year was Brent, the year before was Dallas. And then 20 and 19 and 18, you had new winners. You had Warner, Kaiser, Olsen. And then what? One, two, three, four, five, six, six years in a row, you had a CV win it before that. Um, so I guess I'm just kind of curious, you know, here he won. He's he's second place is Olsen, Royer's third, Zirkel's fourth. Um, you know, was, I guess... Dallas wasn't in it that year. Um, no, I so here is my recall recollection of this, and so they, I it's tough to remember the finer details of every race year to year. Yeah, Mitch and Brent and maybe a couple of other mushers were in the lead, like significantly in the lead halfway through the race. I think they a lot of snow and warmer temperatures. And by warmer, I mean like above zero and a lot of snow um, slowed the trail down. And so for those guys out in front, I think uh, it was to their disadvantage. They had to kind of ease off the gas. And then you got uh, Pete and your that had maybe run a slightly more conservative schedule when I had just a stronger dog team that kept the pace that they had been running for the first half of the race going into the second half. And you saw them kind of stick out and ended up being Pete versus your the entire three last 300 miles. Um, and they're like homies. So it's really fun to, I remember just like watching the interviews and they'd be kind of like shooting the shit with each other, but like they're battling for first place, but you're kind of, you know, started to realize that, you know, barring some terrible mistake or some kind of storm, which we've seen happen, of course, but, that was going to be Pete's win and he was happy for him. And it was just really a fun bit of sportsmanship to watch. And again, yeah, do yourself a favor and watch Pete's finishing video in 2019 because it's a pretty electric. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, that kind of covers our, uh, our newest entrance and all of that. And, you know, if we haven't broken down, uh, 
a musher or a certain situation, we will over the course of things leading up to the Iditarod. I'm sure we will literally talk about every single person. Uh, and maybe we don't know a lot about these these uh, different racers, but we will cover just about everyone. I would like to think. Um, but you know, one thing that kind of happened since last Iditarod that we haven't touched on is uh, the sport lost a legend, man. Uh, Lance Mackey, you know, he, he's, he's had some ups and downs along the way, but he's, he's done a lot of, uh, amazing things for the sport of mushing and, you know, his first battle with cancer come back and what was it? Four in a row from seven to 10, right? Yeah. Just I... unreal. Right. Um, and you know, then these last few years of his life went through a lot of different struggles and, you know, has lost his girlfriend or his wife at the time. Then he was raising kids by himself. Just sad to hear. Um, but I'm just curious if you have any anything to say about Lance. Any fun stories? Just anything. Yeah, I mean, know. absolutely. Lance, dude, Lance got there's a I, I re, when he passed, there were so many stories that uh came out on Facebook and Instagram and I'm try to stay plugged in with the mushing community as best I can, especially, and they're very active on social media. That's how they can kind of share what they're doing with the rest of the world. And I saw like some wild stories on there. I think one of them was, uh, you know, when he got diagnosed with throat cancer, um, I think it was in like the early thousands. He, you know, it's one of the most uh, brutal, uh, like kind of treatments that you have to undergo for like treating that area and he like once he went through chemo like he was uh according to i don't know whose facebook you know uh, account but they were saying that like he would be in the dog yard and he would feed like two or three dogs and then have to like lay down and he would just like lay down in the dog yard and take a rest for an hour and then go and feed another dog and and then lay down again because he was just so weak and he just slowly built up his strength and when he finally got it back uh, you know something that he always would say and, and you check any of his interviews you know it's like after going through what he went through fighting cancer he felt like the Iditarod was a piece of cake and uh he went on to win uh the 2007 eight nine and 10 i did a ride four in a row something that hasn't been repeated dallas did win three in a row but um no one's won four it probably won't happen in the next i would be surprised if it happened maybe maybe brent might have something to say about that but um he got a long way to go and then i think two of those years that he won that i did a ride overlapped with him also winning the other 1000 mile sled dog race uh, as it's been quoted, the other 1,000 miles sled dog race. Those folks at, over there at the Yukon Quest might have something to say about it being the other race because that is a pretty epic uh, expedition, that um, that trail. And he won that race four years in a row. He won the Iditarod four years in a row. Two of those years overlapped. So there was two years where he run, won both of those races. When you get done with the Quest, it's – maybe yep 
when you get done with the quest, I think you have maybe two weeks until the Iditarod starts. And wow, you know, no one thought that you could just take the same team and continue and then go out, you know, because it, it's such a tough thousand mile sled dog race. So that you couldn't just take the same team and that won and then go and win the Iditarod was unheard of. Uh, and he did it. Um, and he, you know, he is proof that if a well-managed dog team actually gets stronger, more fit and better as they enter into these races. And that is like the magic of a long distance race is the thousand mile races is that you see your dog team kind of go from really well-rested dog team ready to blast off and you're kind of trying to hold them back a little bit to, all right, I'm going to get our 24 hour rest. We'll take some time. Uh, and then you just get them to settle into this like long distance mode of like, we're just traveling now indefinitely in the dog's brain. Right. They're just like, we're just traveling indefinitely. And they just start to their the oxygen in their blood, you know, the, the fitness level, the mentality that they have, and then they just reach this next level and they can keep it up. Like you see regularly, you'll see top five dog teams, top 10 sled dog teams. And I did or I'd get to the finish line and all the dogs are screaming and barking. Why? Because they're wondering why the hell they just stopped. Like that was only a thousand miles. Like why are we, why are we stopped? Right. So Lance did that and uh, he, he had the toughest dogs and he himself, uh, this probably a reason you can credit his dogs for being so tough is that they it's contagious they got it from lance um and yeah you know he dude he went to the espies you know that's crazy like he got to go to the espies in like 2007 or 8 and he like was hanging out with like kobe and like lebron and he went on to you know conan and uh he, he got to like be on the top of the the top of the mushing world while mushing was at its height Right, right now we've got a few less mushers in the race. You know, back in 2007, there was like 80, 90 mushers in the race, um, and they had, you know, they had helicopters flying along the front of the pack, like getting views of these mushers going from checkpoint to checkpoint. So he got to be like on top of the sport at when, when the sport was probably at its most popular. We hope it'll continue to be popular, but um, yeah, and then you know he. Uh, you know, he's, he's always kind of been a little, uh, like free flowing, like, I'm not really, I don't really have a plan. I'm just going to kind of feel the dogs and feel the trail and see what is the right choice. And, you know, he wasn't the guy that was going to Dallas has written down plan A, B, C, D, E, and F on what he's going to do on the trail. And each of those has different branches of plans. And then you got, Lance that's like eh, I think I'll run another hour why not you know or, eh, we'll stop and rest here you know so he's just got such a great feel for it that like intangible um something that's sixth sense nice I was just gonna look up so Lance ran it one two Almost 15 times, it looks like, give or take. That stretch of 7 to 10 was first place. And then the first few couple years before that, 
in 06, he had a top 10 with 10 and in 05, he had that seventh place finish. I think that probably really started to give him that itch and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, and then also the cancer, like you said, um, just super interesting, you know, six top tens, four champs. That's that's impressive for sure. Did you have so. the uh, the like most classic Iditarod win? That's like one of the most famous stories because it was documented on some like Discovery documentary in two thousand and seven, um, where Lance won. He had he was battling it out with Jeff King, who just won his fourth Iditarod in two thousand six. Jeff had the faster dog team, was ahead of schedule, and. Like Jeff would famously sleep on top of Lance's boots because he, when Lance went to grab his boots to go and leave, Jeff would be like, all right, I guess I'll leave too. And he knew he had the faster team. So as long as he left at the same time Lance did, he gets to the next checkpoint quicker. So then they got to the same checkpoint somewhere on the coast, about 150 miles from uh, the finish. And Lance showed up after Jeff and uh he started snacking his dogs putting bed down for his dogs jeff like was like, all right looks like he's gonna be staying for a few hours you know they just ran a full length run and so jeff puts on his his noise canceling headphones goes to take a nap and then lance just starts to sneakily booty his dogs and get them up and ready to go and tackle the next leg of the race. He looks around at all the volunteers and all the race officials and says, don't say anything. Need you to be quiet. And technically they have to not say anything because they can't affect the race. Right. So no one was able to like wake up Jeff. And then he woke up, you know, two or three hours later, Lance is 15 miles down the trail and he was never able to make up that, uh, time and Lance went on to win with the slower dog team, but just with that little competitive uh, power move that he made. And oh, man, I know, love it. Tough one, tough one to swallow for Jeff. And I, I, my heart breaks for him. And but also like kudos to Lance for pulling some serious gamesmanship out of his pocket. Yeah, I love that story. I remember the first time you told me that. I'm just like, what a crazy story. But you gotta love the. I don't know, like the ingenuity of like just coming up with that on the spot or like I know you, you've you mentioned stories where people are playing with their headlights to make it seem like they're further away or closer than they maybe are. So I love that story. I think uh, I know Jeff's probably the only person that doesn't like the story and all of his fans. But yeah. uh, for anyone else like who just loves a fun story, I, I, that one's such a good one to hear. So. Well, Jeff, um, I remember Jeff had actually complimented Lance for that because he was like, okay, sure, you can just put on your dog's booties and sneak away. Like, that's one thing. But, like, to have your dogs, like, agree to sign up for that because they did just run a full-length run and then went into another one after, like, you know, maybe basically a cat nap and a snack. Right. So you can't just, like, click a button and say, all right, dogs, let's go to the next checkpoint. Like, when dogs are like they have a rhythm like you show up at a checkpoint you lay down straw and you like give them a food like they're like all right i get it we're going to take a nap and then to just kind of be like actually i know that that's how we've been doing it for like literally your entire life but this one time i need you guys to push through here for me and they were like dude for you coach for you dad 
we'll do anything for you. You know, so it takes a, it's not just as simple as sneaking out off. Your dogs have to be on the same page as you are too. And Jeff was like, dude, mad respect for Lance to be able to pull that off and on every level. Nice. No, that's, that's a fun story to hear and uh, relive. And, you know, I think that um, with the podcast, we're going to be reliving some of that as well. I think we should go down the rabbit hole and, and uh, talk about some other fun rivalries and cool little things that have happened along the way in different races and such. So um, stories like that, I- I'm sure that we'll get more heavily into. Um, so the last thing I want to do, we've kind of, uh, you know, we've gone over the entrance. We've talked about Lance. We wanted to give Lance uh, some respect and, 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 you know, the, 10 minutes we just spent on that what doesn't even do it justice honestly yeah I we'll mean, come back to him i think again and... i'm sure we've got more lance stories up our sleeve for sure uh-huh. um so yeah i guess uh earlier in the podcast i i asked you a question and i'm curious if you've been able to marinate on it a little bit coming back to that whole question so we've got the cv teams mm-hmm. right the, arguably two of the best iditarod racers ever right mushers ever in dallas and and mitch and here we are we've got kelly on uh kelly maxner on on uh, dallas's and christian on on um mitch's and i'm just curious uh just based on like what you know about those two and maybe what you know about the state of the dogs and you know if you were to speculate you know cv team versus cv team who you got your money on heading into things this year. And yeah. and again, speculative. We haven't, it I'm is. sure they'll run a couple of the smaller races leading up to it. So maybe we'll have a better idea, but as it stands now, what, what do you, what do you speculate on that? Gosh, dude, that is going to be like, that's such a fun, like race within the race. You know, it's kind of like, um, and some kind of, I don't know. I don't follow race car driving, but like the owners have like two cars in in the race, you know, like Ferrari might have like two race drivers yep. or something, you know? So like, that's kind of how this is. And I think it's honestly like pretty even, I would probably give, like, I almost feel like I'd give the, like an edge on, uh, the, I don't, I'm not sure what their plans are, but like, I know that the Mitch's dogs are running the Cusco. So like, they're just going to be like super tough and hardened and they like, uh, I don't know, man, I just feel like they're, um, going to be a pretty badass dog team. And of course, like Dallas's team is going to be badass too, but I'm not sure like who is racing. If they're doing any races leading up to the Iditarod, Dallas has had like the philosophy that, you know, he has, um, him and his dogs have a lot more to lose by running an, a mid-distance race than they do by just training for a thousand mile race because you just you, you just really don't run a 300 mile race like you would run the first 300 miles of the Iditarod because when you run the first 300 miles of the Iditarod you got 700 more miles to go so you need to have more in the tank whereas mid-distance race you can just kind of empty the tank for those 300 miles so yeah, man, it'll be interesting. I think I'm going to give the edge to uh, Kelly because he's um, been in, he was ran the Iditarod in 2020, I think. Uh, he's run more races. He's uh, going to have like a similar level of dog team. I think he's run seven Iditarods to Christian's two. 
Um, so yeah, I think I'd give the edge to Kelly, but it's not by much. Yeah. Yeah. Your last race was 20. His best finish is 17th place, which is in 20 and in 18. Um, yeah, should be interesting. Kind yeah, of a that, little fun little race this, within the race. Um, the I'm sure we'll visit this. Real quick, the 17th place is his highest. I didn't know that. Whereas Christian's highest is higher than 17, I think. I think he might have finished 14th or something. Um, so, it's yeah, it really is kind of evens out. You know, maybe Kelly has more experience, but Christian's more had more competitiveness in the race. Right. And then, but he's had a longer break from mushing. Uh, hasn't been, you know, he's been in Alaska. And he's living, he in, and he's living in Australia. Right. Too. He, he, he does come to Alaska. It's not like he hasn't been around mushing, but at the same time, he's been primarily in Australia for a number of years. So, yeah, it'll be interesting, man. I'm, I'm, uh, well, you know, that the people from Mitch CV camp and people from the Dallas CV camp are going to be kind of, doing a little friendly rivalry, maybe talking a little smack and Kelly and um, Christian know each other pretty well. I'm uh, because Kelly was uh, Kelly is really close friends with Dallas. It's not a coincidence. He's run Dallas's dogs before. So he like, whereas Christian's never run Mitch's dogs and they do not do things exactly the same, but they are. So, but Kelly, I'm certain has overlapped with Christian in some way and they probably do know each other. So I'm sure that I'm, I, w- I would be willing to bet that they've already reached out to one another about this. And um, yeah, I think there will be a little friendly rivalry there. Yeah. I think that'll be fun to uh, fun to watch within the race. You know, if it is like a, a blowout by Brent and there's not like much competition at the top, maybe, you know, in more in the mid mid section, that could be like a race within the race. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, Christian being being there with uh, Mitch in 14 and 15, which are years that coincide with Kelly running the race. So uh, yeah, I would so like they, to think they they're definitely other. familiar with each yeah. other. Um, so, yeah, I think that was a, a good little uh, episode for, for the folks today. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing more of these. You know, uh, we've been kind of talking about some different topics to discuss. And uh, one, one thing that's on my mind is dog care and just kind of going a little bit more behind the scenes with, um, you know, the the treatment of the the real athletes, which are the dogs. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, PETA likes to get their hands on certain things. And, um, you know, like for someone who doesn't have, for me, who doesn't have until you were in it, doesn't have anyone in the race or in this world of mushing, you know, PETA says something and you're like, damn, they show you a video of dogs chained up and you're like, wow, this looks horrible. So I think that going going a little bit more down that hole and talking to you about your experience and what you've seen and things that, you know, that line, I guess there's a line there. Um, I'm curious to go down that. I'm curious to hit on some rivalries you know cv versus cv cv cvs versus king king versus uh you know just lance, all the yeah. lands exactly so um i think we should go there and also one thing that you guys should know is that 
we're going to be bringing some guests on the show as well. Um, so it's not just going to be two brothers kind of talking about this, um, but we will be bringing more people in, in involved in the mushing world in to talk more about their life, their stories, and to add some more value to things. So, yeah, I'd like to add that, you know, uh, I've, I've talked to a few mushers recently and, and just like, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm more, way more knowledgeable than somebody that doesn't, that's just like, what's an Iditarod, you know, but um, there's just like a lot of other people that are, got been around and doing this a lot longer. Um, and I'm, I, so we hope to bring some of those people on that have, maybe can help us unpack some of those historic Iditarod rivalries, or maybe delve into a different aspect of this year's race and another storyline that we're missing. Uh, so we hope to, make that happen and um yeah awesome all right man well until next time peace peace